Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Peter Docker. We're going to look at some insights from Peter's book, Leading from the Jump Seat, How to Create Extraordinary Opportunities by Handing Over Control. Peter served for over 25 years as a Royal Air Force senior officer. He's been a force commander during combat flying operations and has seen service across the globe. Peter has also served as a crisis manager and former international negotiator for the UK government. His commercial and industry experience has been at the most senior levels and sectors. He's worked with clients like Google, American Express, NBC Universal, and over a hundred more. For seven years, he worked with Simon Sinek. He took his years of practical experience to co-author of Simon's book, Find Your Why, a practical guide for discovering purpose for you and your team. Peter is passionate about enabling people to unlock their natural talents. We're going to talk today about what Peter did when his son wanted to get a racing motorcycle. And we'll see the approach that he used with his son, and we'll see how you can use a similar tactic. We're also going to look at the problems that parents experience when they take a position on a certain issue and why it's much more effective to take a stance instead. And we'll see what the difference is between those. And we'll see how some of the concepts from Peter's book on leadership can really help parents when we're trying to lead our teenagers in the right direction. Really excited to talk about all of that and more. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. The book is Leading from the Jump Seat, How to Create Extraordinary Opportunities by Handing Over Control. And a lot of great stories from your own life, as well as other stories from other, you know, businesses and people who use these principles in different scenarios. How did you get the idea to kind of start collecting all these ideas and stories together? And what inspired you to write it into a book? Well, I, I've been hugely fortunate over my almost 59 years, Andy. I've traveled to 93 countries. I've worked with oh, well over 100, probably 200 different companies in every industry you can imagine. Uh, I've served in the Royal Air Force for 25 years as a pilot. I've led people in combat situations. I've led multi-billion dollar projects. I've taught at Defense College on leadership. All these different things, which sound quite impressive when you read them off, I guess, but I'll let you into a secret. Most of the time, I felt completely out of my depth. <laughs> I really did. And I think that links actually to parenting because I, I've brought all these ideas together into this book because I want to share what I've learned. Um, because I, I think <laughs> we know when we've discovered something that kind of works in leadership, whether it's leading as a parent or leading a team, but often finding it written down when someone has put those thoughts into words 
really, really helps. And I I think that's what it is with this book. You know, a lot of the things that people might read in the book, they go, oh, yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. But because I've put it into black and white, it then is much more actionable. And lean from the jump seat, that is a phrase that I've borrowed really from my flying days as a pilot when I I flew large passenger jets. And I just happened to be sat in the jump seat, which is a a third seat on the flight deck of many large passenger jets, which is immediately behind the two pilots. And I was sat in that seat uh, the day after I just qualified the, the captain as a new captain. And we'd just gone airborne out of San Francisco and we had an emergency. And what I then chose to do in the next few moments, actually a a couple of seconds, you know, uh, would dictate whether I and the 140 people on board survived or not. And, you know, spoiler alert here, but I I chose to do absolutely nothing because I knew that the guy I just qualified, a chap called Callum, the captain, he had this, you know, he had the skills, he had the training. What I needed to do was to get out of his way, stay out of his way. And I think most importantly for him to feel that I had his back. Mm. And leading from the jump seat is a metaphor, really. It's regardless of whether we're the CEO of a company or leading a team, or in this case, a parent. At some stage, we're going to have to hand over control. You know, it's obvious as a CEO, you'll retire, you'll move teams. But as a parent, your kids will eventually grow up, leave home, and start leading their own lives, yeah? So it's inevitable we hand over control. What this book is all about is, okay, given that inevitability, how do we lead in a way that prepares our people to take the lead themselves? In this case, how can we prepare our kids to carry forward those things that we feel are really important to us as human beings? And when we lead with that sort of intention, Um, particularly as a parent, which I think is one of the biggest challenges, leadership challenges any of us face. When we lead with that intention of handing over control, it actually opens up all sorts of extraordinary new opportunities along the way. So that was the thinking behind the book and sharing a few ideas, distinctions in language that help us to have different conversations that then help us get different results. And that was the impetus behind the book, sharing all of that with others. You write in here about the difference between a position and a stand. Uh, what, yeah. What's the difference between those things and how did that come into play when your 18-year-old son wanted to purchase a 600cc Suzuki Bandit motorcycle. Yeah, this is a great one, actually, and you picked up on, because this is where I'm using a distinction in language to help us have those different conversations. Then Then a practical example of how that helped me some years ago, well, 10 years ago now, in a particular moment in my son. But very quickly, difference between a stand and position. Uh, A position is against something or something. Okay. Absolutely not. Yeah. Or, you know, we only need to switch on the TV or open a newspaper or check on the internet and we can find lots of people taking positions against others or an idea or a concept. And, you know, that's 
that's part of life. But a position can only exist with a counter position, you know, a different mm -hmm. view. Yeah. A stand, on the other hand, is what we stand for, what we believe. And a stand doesn't rely on anything else or anyone else to exist. So very quickly, an example I give in the book is we've got a very narrow lane. We live out in the countryside here in England, a very narrow lane just by our house. And there's only really enough room for one car to pass. So sometimes you'll get two cars meeting and going <laughs> opposite directions, head on, right. and they stop. And they each take up a position. Ah. Yeah. And that will sound like you are going too fast. You need a backup to the passing place. And the mm. other guy will say, well, no, no, my journey is more important. You need a backup to the passing place. And their positions get more and more entrenched. But then on occasion, you'll have two cars coming together in the same way. But one driver immediately reverses up to a passing place because they have a stand. And that stand is for being courteous on the road. And what actually happens then, the other driver who's about to take up a position, his position immediately dissolves because there's no counter position. He just drives on his way. Meanwhile, the person has taken a stand for being courteous on the road. Their stand is strengthened. It becomes more powerful. And I use this sort of language when, as you mentioned, some years ago, my son, on reaching 18, he wanted to have a powerful Suzuki Bandit motorcycle which could do naught to 60 in about three and a half seconds and go on to top about 130 miles an hour. Now, as a parent, I was worried about this. You know, Patrick, one of his friends had almost been killed on the narrow twisty lanes around our house whilst riding his motorbike. So the last thing I wanted was for Patrick to get one of these motorcycles. Yeah. And so immediately I could see or feel my brain taking up a position against Patrick. Uh, having that motorbike. Yep. And if I'd taken the conversation forward with that position, Patrick would have taken up a position against me because he really wanted that motorcycle. Yep. And we'd become entrenched. But instead I thought, right, let's dig deeper. What is it that's behind this position of mine? What do I stand for? And my stand is for my kids being safe and to be yep. able to grow, yeah? So I approached the conversation from a place of a stand. I said, look, Patrick, I know that you want this motorcycle. I'm not going to stand in your way. I said, I tell you what, we'll both do the training. I'll learn to ride a motorcycle with you. Okay. And mm. here's, here's the only caveat. I said, after we've done the minimum training and passed our test, we will go on and together we'll do the advanced motorcycling program that there is in this country to become an advanced rider. And my son thought, well, oh, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for that. So that's what we did. We even got a secondhand beautiful yellow Suzuki Bandit that sat in our, our shed, our garage, whilst we were doing the training. And um, it, it drew us closer together. We had a great time. And halfway through the training, Patrick came to me. He said, you know what? He said, I've been looking at this. He said, by the time I've paid for the insurance to be able to ride this motorcycle, I'm not actually going to be able to afford to put petrol gas into it. He said, so <laughs> I won't be able to go anywhere. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a car instead. Uh, I hope that's okay. I said, yeah, that's cool. And he went on <laughs> to become an advanced driver in his car. Meanwhile, we sold on the Suzuki Bandit without <laughs> ever having been ridden by either of us. But the point is, Andy, that if I'd taken up a position, 
yeah. against him getting this bike. We'd have been at loggerheads. Totally. But instead, I took up a stand for for him being safe, but also be able to, you know, have independence and get around, um, you know, to explore as a, a late teenager. So that also opened up other opportunities. Our relationship took on a different facet. It, it got deeper. You know, we had this opportunity of doing this training together. Um, it, he opened his eyes to taking on advanced training um, whilst driving on the road. So this position and stand is really, really useful. And what I'd offer to people is when you find yourself, as you will, inclined to take up a position against what your teenage son or daughter is about to do or wants to do, take a moment and dig deeper. Flip over that coin and ask yourself, what is my underlying stand here? What yeah. do I stand for? And how can I use that to have the conversations with my teenage son or daughter to create a different possibility that we can work on together? So that's the value of a position and a stand. Uh, I love that. Yeah. And uh, so often you feel yourself having that gut reaction. Uh, no, uh, no, that is not okay. But what are you really concerned about? What do you really care about? And we like it when people care about us. We don't like it when people <laughs> tell us what we can't do. <laughs> so. uh, that, that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just another way of looking at things. And in my experience, it helps us to um, uh, find different solutions. Okay, but so we got to. What what's the difference between a stand and a commitment? Are those the same thing? Um, they're very similar. And talking about stands a little bit more, it, it dives into what drives us, you know, and yeah. what's really important. I, I open the book by talking about discovering what is really important to us. Yeah. And I think before we try and influence our <laughs> teenagers successfully we really need to drill down on our, ourselves as parents you know mm. what is really important to us as an individual yeah like our core values yeah although hmm, i have an issue with values sometimes because values aren't as fixed as we might like to think they are mm. you know if you need to get to a meeting and you're driving up to where the meeting is going to be and you see the one last slot in the parking lot that's available and you see out the corner of your eye that someone else is going for that parking slot, chances are you're going to dive in and grab that slot, yeah? Um, and it might go against your value of being courteous to others and you might beat yourself up over it afterwards, but no, you're going to take that, that slot, okay? So values sometimes can flex depending on circumstances. Yeah, That's right. why I like to talk more about drivers. What drives us? And that drivers are linked to stands, and stands are linked to commitment. So let me just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. What we stand for and what drives us, we can identify that through the choices that we make through life. So, you know, I chose to go to university over 40 years ago now to study two subjects, computing and electronic engineering. I had no background in them whatsoever, but I was committed to doing that because at the time my parents didn't have much money. They both lost the jobs. 
I didn't want to be a financial burden on them. And I wanted to be able to get a job afterwards that was well paid so I could help support them. Yeah. Yeah. So that choice started to highlight something that's really important to me, which is not being a burden on others and be able to support others. Right. right. But then halfway through my college degree, something else happened in the world, which was the Falkland Islands, which is in the, some islands in the South Atlantic. Those islands were invaded by Argentina. And this is in 1982. And the Argentinian regime imposed their will on people down there who considered themselves to be British. Now, for me, it was nothing to do with the politics. I found that I was absolutely incensed with this notion of someone forcing their will on others. So I left college halfway through my degree to join the Royal Air Force because I felt that by joining the Royal Air Force, I'd be part of a team who could help in the future take care of people who couldn't help themselves. Mm. So another crossroads in life, and what that draw out, drew out in me is something that's really important, which is the notion of mutual respect. So the reason I'm talking about all this and taking so much time, Andy, is because it's really, really important when we're bringing up kids. Yeah. If we can get clear ourselves on what really matters to us, what's really important to us, what are our stands? What are, what's going to drive us? You know, one another example of a stand is what's really important to us is our family, right? You know, a couple of years ago, I had a phone call from my wife saying that she'd been involved in a car accident. And there was nothing that was going to get in my way to go in and supporting her. Nothing. I didn't know what I was stepping into. I didn't know what I would find. All I knew was that I would overcome anything that was in my way. It lights that fire inside of you. So when we can connect to other important things that can turn into stands, something that we're known for, that's our character, we can then act on that, put them into action. That's when we can turn it into a commitment, something that we are going to do. Let's take parenting. You know, I can remember when I first had our first uh, child, Louise. Did we know what we were doing? We haven't got a clue, really. Were we absolutely committed? Totally. We were committed mm. to taking on anything that was going to be thrown in our way to bring up our daughter and later her brother when he arrived. Nothing would have got in our way. Yeah. Because it lights that fire, that energy inside of you. And that is why I think as a parent, when we can be very clear on what we stand for, what we believe in, and the commitments we make, our children will pick up on that. And you know, it's no surprise that my, my son, for example, is now a Royal Navy helicopter pilot and he helps people. You know, his ambition is to become an air ambulance pilot because he wants to help people who can't help themselves. So it kind of gets passed on. But unless we know what we stand for, what our commitments are as parents, our kids, they don't have a roadmap. You know, they don't have that guidance. We've got to give them that framework. And so is a commitment something that you make uh, within yourself or you make with other people? Some might think that a commitment is what we make to others, and that can be part of it. Yeah. But actually, that commitment means nothing unless it is a promise to ourselves. You know, I I could make a, a, a commitment to you, Andy, to pitch up for this podcast, and we we've we've exchanged emails we've set up the zoom call you know it's on my calendar uh, that could be a commitment but unless i've made that promise to myself that i'm going to be here on time actually a few minutes early yeah. 
that commitment on the calendar means absolutely nothing. So a commitment is all about making a promise to ourselves in just the same way as the vast majority of us make a promise to ourselves that we're going to give our kids the best possible upbringing we can and give them every possibility and opportunity in life that we can, even if it means sacrificing something for ourselves. That's what a commitment is. It's a promise we make to ourselves to carry through. You talk in the book about responses versus reactions. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Some might think so. I have a different perspective. You know, Um, a reaction comes from our limbic system. You know, it's like when we step out to a road and there's a car coming, we will jump back, we'll react. And that's good. Um, But sometimes, particularly where emotions are concerned. Yeah. And often that's the case when we're trying to lead our teenagers or bring them up. The way we react is not necessarily helpful. You know, Mm -hmm. go back to my example with Patrick and the motorbike. My reaction might have been to say, no way are you going to get that bike. You know, dream on, my friend. Nothing like that's going to happen. (laughs) Would it have been helpful? Mm, Probably not. He'd have been... He would have started to dig in and come up with have a reaction of his own, yeah. Absolutely right. Um, A response, however, is different. The response is more considered. So let me give this a flying context since I I was a pilot. I can tell you, Andy, that on a big aeroplane or on any aeroplane, if you ever have an engine fire, what happens is a big red light flashes and a very, very loud bell goes off. And there's no way you can miss this as a pilot. And your reaction would be, you know, (gasps) and without training, our limbic system would kick in, our freeze, fight or flight reaction would kick in, right? So we we can't run off the aeroplane because that would make the passengers very unhappy if we left at that point, yeah? Right. Um, we there's nothing for us to, to physically fight, yeah. Mm. And so, without training, what would happen? We would freeze because we've got this input of a bread, bright red light and a very loud bell in our ears. Our reaction would be to freeze, and that doesn't help at all. So, what we train to do is to respond appropriately, and the response has been worked out on the ground way ahead by experienced pilots, by engineers who know all the systems, and they've broken it down into a drill that we can immediately go into. It's called a, a immediate actions. And we know exactly what to do. So in that moment where we freeze, our brain automatically goes into this really considered reaction, but we go into it instantly. So how does this apply to parenting or any leadership situation? Yeah. It applies because we can anticipate occasions when we might react. You know, say when our kids are are smaller, four or five years old, we take them to a a fancy restaurant, uh, you know, for a a treat. There is a possibility that they're going to knock a drink over. They're going to knock their, you know, their Coke over or the water or whatever it is. Right. Our reaction could be to scold them. 
because we don't want to be shown up in this restaurant as bad parents. You know, that sort of narrative will go through our mind. But we can prepare for that and we can respond better. We can respond by not scolding them, by recognizing that accidents do happen. And really, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And that then is likely to give us a better outcome. And so it is with with teenagers. When, you know, our teenage daughter decides to go out in clothing with a group of friends and we think, no way should you be going out with that. you are not leaving the house wearing that. You got it, yeah. But uh, we, we can anticipate that. And we can anticipate the emotions that will generate inside of us and have a more considered response to that situation. Like other distinctions in language, the reaction and the response, it gives a a different way of acting. And we can make sure that we come from a place of love rather than a place of fear. Hmm. Everything that's important to us is driven only by love or fear. And we have a choice as to which we allow to drive us and how that then affects, in this case, people like our teenagers. Yeah, I think in general, that's a lot of what we do here on the podcast is think about different situations ahead of time. Uh, It allows you to approach things in a more thought out way and less of a um, just kind of going with your emotional first reaction to things. Yeah, but I'd also say, Andy, you know, as parents, don't be too hard on ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, we'll screw up. Of course we will. But you know what? That's okay. What's most important as a parent and in any leadership situation is not the individual data points. It's two other things. It's the trend over time. You know, are we heading generally in the direction that we want to be? Are we sharing with our, our kids what we feel is really important in life and how to behave as human beings, how to interact with society? Are we sharing those things more often than not? Um, It's the trend that's important. And the other thing is our intention. Where are we coming from? What's our intent? Is our intent to lift them up or to push them down? Is our intent to respond out of love or to react out of fear? You know, Um, it's our intention and the trend that matters. We're here with Peter Docker talking about how we can sometimes lead our teenagers more effectively by actually handing over control of a situation to them. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. But actually, if we break down the sort of problems we face, they split into two. There's what we call a technical problem and an adaptive challenge what's currently spoken about in terms of as a leader and that includes us as parents of course be authentic right and i've always struggled with this because being authentic isn't necessarily the answer to all situations the magic between accountability and responsibility is this we can lay down laws or regulations or house rules or call them what we like for our family, you know, you're accountable for doing the dishes. You're accountable for putting your dirty laundry in the basket. And yeah, that's fine, but it will only take us so far. Hmm. Where we get a big step change, a positive step change, is when everyone in our family chooses to take 
responsibility, chooses to do stuff because they want to, not because they have to. Yeah. And so <laughs> the way that we create the environment where our kids will choose to take responsibility comes back to belonging. When they feel that they belong to the family, when they feel that they know how they can fit and how they contribute, they will step up and they will choose to take responsibility. Now, it might not happen as quickly as we might like, but if we create that environment, it will happen. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.